invite you to find the book of Acts chapter 11. This morning we'll begin to read in verse number 19. Acts chapter 11, we'll begin to read in verse 19. For a few moments this morning, I want to speak to you on this subject. What defines you? What defines you? Acts chapter 11, and we'll begin to read in verse number 19. Won't you stand with me, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. When Acts chapter 11 began to read in verse 19, the Bible says these words, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the Word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he had come and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek for Saul, for when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. Now listen to this. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your spirit would challenge us and speak to us today. God, I pray if there's one who's never repented, never received Jesus to be Lord of their life, that, God, they will do that today. And Father, I pray that as we look at these descriptions, these things that were a part of these early believers' lives in Antioch, that called us the lost and dying world to say that those are followers of Jesus Christ. God, I pray those same truths will be a reality in our lives today. And Father, I pray where we're found lacking, where it's not true, it's only a name only. God, I pray you'll convict us today and challenge us. And I pray, Father, that we'll leave today with a repentant heart and a revived heart that's ready for you to see, God, and uh, we're, we're, we've made ourselves available, God, for you to make these reality in our life today, that the lost world will see you living and reigning in us. That's our prayer. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Now I invite you to be seated. For 35 years, uh, my mother got up every morning uh, from August through June and uh, would fix breakfast and then would uh, get herself ready and put her makeup on and she'd get her purse and she'd get in her car and she would head down to uh, Waynesville Junior High School. She had a desk in her room there and it had her name on it and she... She had things inside that desk. She had a, a lesson plan book. And then she would stand and she would have a dialogue with students uh, for about six different periods uh, during the day. She did this for 35 years. Uh, can anyone guess what she did for a living? She was a teacher. See, all those things de defined um, that. My brother uh, gets up every morning and he goes to a business down at the base of uh, the creek where we grew up on. There's a lot of cars uh, that are sitting uh, out on the lot. He has a lot of different people that work for him, and 
They have dialogue with different people that come up to visit them there. And they'll talk about the different vehicles that are out on that lot. And sometimes people even purchase those vehicles, uh, and then they'll drive them off as their very own. Can anybody guess what my brother is? He is. He's a car salesman. He, he's, he, runs a, he runs a car dealership. I've got a cousin that's a cop, and I mean, I've already blew my thing, but he, <laughs> he's a cop. The point I'm trying to make is this. Many of you in here, you have things in your life uh, that, that describe actions that you do, but they're a result of who you are or what you were, what you, what you did. In this chapter, we see a word that really takes place for the first time in all of Scripture. It's the word Christian. The believers in Antioch, those that came to trust Christ, whether it's Barnabas, whether it's Paul, whether it's those who are witnessing to those who are in there, we're going to see some truths this morning that really describe, they, they defined those people. Uh, they weren't things that were on a t-shirt. They weren't things that they posted on social media and tried to convince everybody of. Don't miss this. A lost and dying world observed these people's lives. And they watched them. They saw them. And they said, those people are followers of Jesus Christ. My prayer this morning is this, is that, that if none of those describe you, you'll receive Christ today to be Lord of your life. And you'll begin to walk with Him, and soon those things will. But if you do know Him, and you've known Him for many years, but you've, you're backslid today, and they're not a reality in your life. Not do you affirm them, not do you amen them. Yeah, those need to be a part of our But if those truths really don't define in reality who you are, then I pray today you repent so you can begin to live up to the name and the high calling of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice four characteristics today of someone biblically who's called a follower of Christ, a Christian. Number one, the first characteristic is they're scripturally born again. They are scripturally born again. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 19. It's interesting, after Peter had witnessed again to the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, he even had to defend in the first part of Acts chapter 11 again what had taken place because many of the Jewish believers were so steeped in Jewish tradition they really didn't see and couldn't understand that God was going to save the Gentiles. They really didn't believe that God would do that. And so Peter began to witness and to share with them, hey, look, if they've received the Holy Spirit just as we, who can argue with what, with what God has done? And so that began to change people's lives. But everybody didn't get it all at once. Verse 19 says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. They hadn't heard what had happened with the house of Cornelius. They fully didn't understand it, didn't register to them. Uh, Acts 1.8, how, how God was going to start at Jerusalem, then Judea, then move out to Samaria. That meant the Gentiles into the uttermost parts of the world. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Serene. So they weren't steeped in that tradition. And they began to share uh, the gospel with those who had come when they came to Antioch, and they spoke to the Hellenists, these Greeks, and they preached the Lord Jesus. And so those who were scattered, uh, they were experiencing what Jesus said would come to pass, sadly, in Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 22. says, they persecuted me, you're going to be persecuted. And they experienced those hardships and those challenges. But these were those early believers who received Christ 
at Pentecost. Verse 21 uh, says that the hand of the Lord was with these that shared, and a great number of people believed, and they turned to the Lord. And so people are going to observe the, pe- the lost people of Antioch. Don't miss this. They're going to observe these individuals in Antioch. They're going to say, man, these people are followers of Christ. But the first truth that they all shared in their lives was that they, had been, they were scripturally born again. Whether they had received Christ. And I'm so glad, you know, that they weren't saying, there wasn't a class of people say, well, we're Pentecost believers. You know, we're the, we're the first class. So we're different than everybody else. You know, that happens in local churches. And I'm glad I've never heard anybody do that here in our church. But I've pastored churches where there would be another building say, well, we were from the old building. You know, we're from the old group. Like, that makes a difference. Well, sir, friend, I'm telling you, whether you've been here for 78 years or you just joined last Sunday, you're a member of the Greenwood Baptist Church family. Everybody didn't say amen on that. It's either because you're tired or you don't believe it. Do you believe that this morning? It's equal ground on the foot of the cross. We're all equal members. And so they were all believers because they had each been scripturally born again. Well, what is it that happened? Look what Luke shares in verse 21. It says that the hand of the Lord is with him. A great n- number believed, and they turned to the Lord. Well, the first thing that happened was that they repented. Luke 13, 3. Again, one of our texts this morning in Sunday school, in adult Sunday school, is 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written to you that believe on the name of some God, that you might know that you have eternal life. That you can have full assurance that you've been born again. These things have I written. Well, what is it that had been written? It was doctrine. God gave an authoritative word on what it takes for a person to, to be saved and to know that they've been saved. And it's two things are necessary. Luke, and it's two sides of a coin. And you have to pick, if you pick up a coin, remember you can't just pick up the heads. You have to pick up the heads and the tails. You have to take both. And so the first thing Jesus says in Luke chapter 13 verse 3, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Remember to repent of sin involves three things. You have to concur with God, confess, and then the result will be change. God's Word says I'm a sinner, so therefore I am a sinner. If God says it, then it's so. And so that's the first thing, step toward repentance is to just agree with what the Word of God says about me. And then to confess that and say, Lord, that's me. I agree, and God, I confess. I've, I've done this. No one else. I'm a sinner. And then the result of repentance will be as we receive Christ, God begins to change us. So we turn from the direction we're going. That's what these people have done. They were serving idols. They shared the gospel. Hey, you had to turn to Jesus Christ to receive him to be Lord of your life. And they chose to do that. I did that. If you've been saved, say amen. You've done that. You chose to to let go of all of your sin to agree with the conviction of the Holy Spirit, what God's Word says about you, you confessed it, said, Lord, I'm a sinner, and in so doing, you turn to Jesus Christ in saving faith. You believe that He died, that He rose again, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, and you trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life. And that's what these individuals did. The reason that, they were, they, that people looked at them and said, man, there's something different about their life. They're followers of Christ. 
is because they came through the grave. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. That means that there's one gate to heaven, and it's through Jesus Christ. And everybody that's going to heaven, friend, we all went through the same gate. A lot of different football games took place yesterday, and there's 1,012 gates all around some stadium. And how you get your car depends on what, what gate you're in. I, man, I'm, I'm getting to the age now, I have to look and see what aisle I parked on when I go to Walmart, try to remember what row. I mean, okay, I'm in row, I'm in row D, so I know to look for that. If I get lost, I'm so glad I've got that little honker on my car. I can just make my car start honking, and I can, I can find it. So there's, there's a lot of different lanes we can park in to get in the store. There's a lot of different gates to get inside the Civic Center or, or the stadium. There's one gate into heaven, friend, and it's through Jesus Christ. And so they all share that. You need to understand that as you're living on mission and you're trying to witness to people. People say, well, I'm, people try to convince you that they've been saved because of their affiliation with the church or their family's affiliation with the church or they grew up being a Baptist. Or, or faith's been a, always been a part of their family. It doesn't matter. What matters solely is have they repented and by faith trusted Christ and therefore scripturally been born again. And that's something that marked the life of all these individuals. John chapter 3 and verse 7. Jesus said you must be born again. And they were. Does that define you this morning? I already shared with you, friend. I don't remember the date. I remember my own birthday, January 5th, 1973. I don't remember the date. I know it was in 1979. I think it was in June. My mother's got it written down somewhere. But I remember where I was at. I remember what I felt in my heart. I remember what a praise I stood and talked with preacher Gary Heron. Even though I was just a little fellow, I gave all that I knew to give of me to Jesus Christ. I remember what happened and when, when I was born. Do you remember that? Do you remember that today? When you gave your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, if you don't, maybe it needs to be because it's never been a reality in your life. You've been religious. You've been part of the church. You know every gospel song that there is. But you don't know the man that they're about. Won't you turn and trust Jesus today? Number one, they're scripturally born again. The second thing that defined these early believers, these followers of Christ, was steadfast Missional living. Not only were they scripturally born again, but they had steadfast missional lives. They were, they were involved in the Great Commission. It's not a salvation by works, but it's a salvation that works. See, we're not saved by what we do, but because we have been saved, there's things we're going to do. Those of you that have had the blessing of having children or grandchildren, or you've been an influence on some child's life. You know that there are those pediatrician checkups. And I remember the, the first few that we went when our kids were, were babies. We didn't know everything we were getting into. Uh, but we got there, but the Lord helped us, and we had good doctors. But there were things that the doctors wanted to see that were showing that, that Emma and Nick were healthy. They, they wanted to see there were processes that were happening. They, were gonna, they would check their blood to make sure that everything was normal. There were, there were things that were taking place that were evidences of growth and, and life. And so these evidences didn't, these things didn't make them alive, but because they were alive and healthy, these processes naturally happened. And so service to the Lord doesn't make you saved, but because you 
are saved, the natural product is going to be service to the Lord. If you understand that, say amen. It's, it's not salvation by works, but it's a salvation that's going to work. And so they, they were persecuted, they were scattered. And I just love that, man, how God can take what seems to be a victory to Satan and say, that was my plan the whole time. It was like beating a brush fire. How in the world are we going to get all these people? Can you imagine? I mean, I pastor in the South, I get it. All these people have always, they're born and bred in Jerusalem. They've always lived in Jerusalem. Mama's in Jerusalem. How's the gospel ever going to get to the uttermost parts of the world because all the families in Jerusalem, well, Jesus allowed a little persecution to take place and like beating a brush fire with a broom, the embers just began to spread. And so all these peoples just started moving into all these cities and all these areas where the gospel had not been shared and where lost people were, and they just began to live on mission, and the gospel was preached. And friend, that encourages me in, in these days. What seems like it's all out of control. Friend, it just reminds me, there's an unseen hand that's moving, and God's going to accomplish His will in these last days. Nothing's spinning out of control. Nothing's happening that takes God by surprise. What seems like chaos and persecution in the world, friend. I've got faith and I just believe God's going to use it to bring His desired will about and rapture His church and one day establish Christ's kingdom on this earth for a literal thousand years. And so what seemed negative, God used in a positive way. And so these individuals, they, they began to break tradition. Look what verse number 20 says. But some of them who were men from Cyprus and Serene, who when they had come to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists, the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus. You see, those who had been steeped in Judaism, they came there and said, well, where'd you, where'd you grow up? Oh, you're not, oh, you're a Gentile? Well, it's nice to meet you. Are there any Jews in the town that we can share Christ with? Jesus died for you, and he wants you to be saved. Well, these, these other Gentiles, these, 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 these Jews that were from Cyprus and Serene, they had a broken heart when they saw these Greeks. How did they get that broken heart? They, they began to love these people. When they saw these people that were different from them, lived differently than them, there, something began to stir within their heart. And, and, and what was that? It was the love that God put there for lost people. They had a brokenness. They saw these people. There wasn't an apathy and there wasn't an indifference about that. Their first focus wasn't them and their family and their comfort and their success and what they were going to do with their free time and to make sure that their kids were perfectly well-rounded and had all these activities lined up. Their first focus above all was that they'd be faithful to what God had saved them to do, and that was to live on mission. And so they saw these people, and it wasn't in word only. They weren't the people that just, you know, sang with a loud voice, God rescue the perishing, care for the dying, and then they walked by the lost man. They went to these people. They were actively living on mission. They broke tradition. They loved souls. And friend, I'm telling you, if you don't love souls, you'll never share the gospel effectively. If you don't have a broken heart over lostness, you'll never really care about whether people get saved. And I believe that with all my heart. One of the things that marked the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 3 and marks the day in which we live is just a lukewarmness to the things that God is passionate about. And friend, what drove Jesus to the cross was not your personal time, 
your retirement, and all the things that we become so absorbed with that really become idols in our life that we love more than we love Jesus. What drove Jesus to the cross and what he died for was the souls of lost men and lost women. That's what ought to move our heart in these days. That's really what ought to irritate us in the local church, is when someone doesn't get saved. I can just speak from my experience as pastor over these past 20-some years. I've never, not once, not nary, once, has anyone ever said, Brother Chad, I need, to, I need to talk with you next week. And that's one of the things that irritates me. Somebody will come to me on Sunday and say, Brother Chad, I need to talk to you on Tuesday next week. You got a little time on Tuesday? What is he going to talk I'll talk to you then. Like they want me to think about it from Sunday till Tuesday. What it is. Uh, and then, but I've never had anybody schedule time to say, but yeah, I'm just really upset. We're thinking about leaving the church. Well, what's, what's the matter? Nobody's getting saved. I've never heard anybody say that. Not one time has anybody ever walked out of the back of the church in tears and said, I'm so upset. Well, what's the matter? No one got saved today. Never had, and the reason I'll submit to you, friends, is, but I promise you this. I've had plenty of people tell me other things they're upset about. They're, we had to move their Sunday school class or there's no... I'm going to get in the flesh talking about that. People have complained about a whole lot of other things. It's never about no one's getting saved. And I'll submit to you the reason why, friends, is because there is an apathy and indifference at large which rests over the hearts and lives of many believers. They really don't care if anybody dies and goes to hell. They care, but they don't care enough to steadfastly live on mission. These people did. Jesus changed their life. And the reason they did it, friend, wasn't because, well, I'm afraid maybe he'll strip my salvation away. I'm going to die and go to hell. They're like some of these poor folks, they're in the holiness religion. They just, you know, it's fatalism. They really don't even know until they get to heaven if they're going to make it through. That's not why. And, and they weren't sharing because they're afraid they were going to lose their religion. They, they weren't afraid because they were trying, they weren't sharing because they wanted to impress somebody. They shared the gospel with other people because they loved souls. Why did they love souls? Because they loved the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the natural outflow that God put there was to love other people. And that's why they shared. They, they, and the Bible says in verse 21 that the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Friend, I'm telling you, you'll never catch a fish if you don't go fishing. You won't shoot anything that you don't shoot at. You won't cook anything that you don't put in the oven. I could go on, but I'll say this, friend. You'll never win somebody to Christ unless you share the gospel. They, they, they actively sought to build relationships with people and to, to give a verbal witness about what the Bible says it takes to be saved and then give an invitation I want to say this. If you've, been, if, you were, if you've been saved and born again, I want you to raise your hand this morning. Did somebody share the gospel with you? Did somebody share the gospel with you and invite you to receive Jesus Christ? Then you ought to do the same for somebody else. You ought to do the same. Somebody invited these people to receive Christ. Hardship moved them out. That was God's will. That's the will that God allowed they moved to these cities. They moved to Antioch. They saw all of these lost people. And the love of Christ was in their heart to see them saved. And the Lord blessed them. And friend, I believe with all my heart one of the things that is damned. The reason America is in the shape that it's in. Again, it's, it's not from a politician or a party. It's because the sin of partial obedience has marked the church over these past many years. 
The sin of partial. What is that? Partially doing what God calls us to do. We set up ministries. We pay people to share the gospel. But the church is not actively living on mission. The Bible says to him that knoweth do good, James 4, 17. To him that knoweth do good and doeth it not. To him it's, it's sin. It's sin. What made a difference in those communities, I just believe with all my heart, if all the churches in America would be get serious about missional living, friend, we'd see a change in the direction. There'd be a change in the spiritual climate. Because when people come to know Christ, change takes place. Their lives were marked by steadfast missional living. They have to start a new program every year. Pastor didn't have to get creative. Deacons didn't have to shame them in. It was just Christ changed their life. They knew that was the mission, and they lived on mission. Number three, a third thing that defined them was sanctifying spiritual growth. They were spiritually born again. They were steadfast in missional living. But the third thing that marked them was sanctifying spiritual growth. They, they were growing. Their, their lives were daily changing. Well, look what the Bible says again in verse number 21. The hand of the Lord was with them. A great number of people believed and turned to the Lord because they shared. Well, news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And boy, that's the good news. You get a lot of news these days, but boy, wouldn't that be some good news? What if, what if News 9 came on and says, you know, reporting tonight at 6, uh, lives are being changed up there in the Harrison community there in, in, in Greenwood. It says that people are, that men aren't beating their wives anymore. Wives are, wives are glad to be alive and to, to have a family. Young women aren't aborting their babies. All the, all the jobless are getting jobs and not living off the government. Uh, there's, there's just there's a change. People are happy. They're got, well, what, what are all these things that we're concerned about trying to legislate change? How's this happening? Well, the report is from the people that live up there, people are being born again. They're turning to Jesus. They don't have religion. They, they say they've got a relationship with, with Jesus Christ. Back to you, John. What, what a news report. Wouldn't that be something to hear? Wouldn't that be something to hear, friend? I feel that we've sunk so far in America, the church doesn't even really believe that a great awakening is possible anymore. That a revival can even come. That this is just the way that it is. We've sunk to where we've sunk, and we're going to stay where we are until Jesus Christ comes. Well, friend, listen. He left a mission for each church. And though I be the lone survivor, friend, me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I'm just going to believe, friend, that lost people can still be saved, lives can be changed, and we're just going to keep living on mission. Who will go with me? Who will go with me? You going to go? Somebody say amen if you're going to go. I'm just going to keep going. I refuse to be pulled down with all the apathetic, indifferent, quote-unquote Christians of our day that say this is as good as it's going to get. It may be, but friend, I'm going to die trying. Somebody cared enough to share with me, and I'm going to keep sharing. I'm going to keep sharing. Well, one of the things that marked them was sanctifying spiritual growth. Look what verse 23 says. I love this. News came back. They were so excited that people were getting saved. And, and what news? Well, the, the church has really grown there. Or they, they've built a new building. Well, they have huge crowds to their worship services. No, the news that came back that blessed them, people got saved. People got saved. Their lives have been changed. 
And so they sent Barnabas out, verse 22, the encourager, to go as far as Antioch. And notice this, when he came to Antioch and had seen the grace of God, he saw the change. Now he hadn't been there. He, wasn't, he hadn't been you know, acclimated to just what was normal. He came, he knew what a Gentile nation looked like, a country without Christ, and he came and he saw the difference in these people. What does that mean for you? It means that grace is not invisible. Growth's not invisible. If someone's really growing in Jesus Christ, it's going to be evident. And so to this saved man, he could look at these other people and say, yep, the grace of God marks their life. They're, they're, they're every day being sanctified, they're being further set apart for God's use, they're growing in the Lord. And the Bible says that he was glad. Now I want to tell you something, nothing thrills a, a, a genuine disciple, a real member of the church, God's family, than to see other people grow in the faith. I mean, it is just so encouraging. I love when we were able to sit in, in the office and with, within the deacon box and say, well, have you watched old so-and-so? Boy, they're really good. Man, what a blessing it is that God... Well, I'll tell you, the gift of 2021 was this family right here. Man, I'm so glad God sent that family. They're so excited to come to church. They're so... They're, you, this person told me the other day, they're reading through their Bible. And just the joy that was on their face. This person told me they were so excited they were being a listener now in Awana. And just what a blessing it was to talk to their child. Friend, listen, that encourages me. I don't get excited. I don't know how much money we get. I don't care how much. God will give us what we need in the church to operate. So I don't see, I, my happiness isn't on what the offering is. My happiness isn't on how many people come to church or don't come to church because I can't affect any of those things. What brings me joy in ministry is to see spiritual growth in the life of our church members. I mean brings joy. It's to see it, it being real for somebody to get all in. Don't ride the fence. Don't care what their friends, what their family thinks. I mean, just start growing in the Lord. And so he was so glad. And notice what the result was he did. He didn't, he didn't they've already been reached. They're going to do some teaching. But look what the Bible says that he did. He encouraged them. So there they were with all these forces that were around them from their lost family, their lost culture, and he comes there to encourage them. says, listen, don't stop. Now, I've experienced what you experienced. Right after I first got saved, the devil, he wore me out. Told me, you've, boy, you've done it now. You've made a fool out of yourself. Can't go back now. Everybody's going to know. What have you done? The spiritual warfare. I've experienced hardship. Now, listen. Barbara says, you see this bruise right here? Yeah, I got hit in the rock right there when I, on the way here. Now look at that scar right there. You see that one? They tried to kill me, run me down after they killed Stephen. But don't you worry, says God took care of me, and he'll take care of you. He just began to come alongside them saying, listen, this is how you do it. Watch me, and you're going to have an example, because I'm doing it exactly the way that Jesus Christ said to do it. Now don't you quit. I know all your other friends, there's some other people prayed to receive Christ, and they've already gone back. It was just out of emotion. But I've already been told by Peter and others, John chapter 6, Jesus had fed 5,000. He really began to lay out what it really meant to be a disciple. And many from that day followed him no more. But don't you worry. You just keep going. 
and I'm going to be here with you, and I'm going to pray for you. He encouraged them. He encouraged them. And the result of that encouragement was, friend, they every day were more sanctified. They just set apart for God's exclusive use. They kept growing. Who, who are you encouraging? Friend, anybody can be a discourager. I think there's some people think that's their spiritual gift is to be the, the voice of discouragement in the church. And it is not a spiritual gift. It's a curse. Be an encourager. Just call somebody. Say, man, I'm praying for you. Haven't seen you in connection class in a while. I'm not called to give you a hard time. Just want you to know I love you and I miss you and I'm praying for you. Is there anything? Do you, do you need anything? Is there anything going on? Man, I've been where you've been. Now, I've had this happen in my life. And I want to share with you how God helped me. I just want to encourage you. Be an encourager. If you're that helps people to grow in the Lord. And so that was one of the things that he visibly saw. They continued to grow. And the Bible says that they were taught the Word. John 17, 17. God sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. What helped them to grow? The Word of God. Friend, what you eat, you are. And I'm telling you, if you're not eating the Word of God, you're not going to grow to be more like Jesus Christ. If you don't spend time daily studying the Word, digesting the Word, and then obeying the Word, you're not going to grow. It won't happen. It just it will not happen. Just like as if a child stops drinking milk, that little baby, they'll wither up. If you stop eating, one of the problems that we have with seniors as they get older, they, they stop eating when they get sick. And you know, you got to go buy them a six-pack of what? Insure. Pour that insure down them. Drink it now. Drink it all. You drink that insure. You're trying to get some nutrition in them. They'll help them to, to grow and to stay healthy. These people were growing to be more like Christ because what word they were receiving, they let become a part of them, and they were obeying it. And they grow. And look what the Bible says in verse number 24. That as a result of what Barnabas had done in obeying the Word, the Bible says this was his testimony. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Barnabas was there to observe the people at Antioch who were growing, but I will submit to you, don't miss this, the reason that Barnabas was there, and that he traveled through all those hostile territories to get there, is because he was growing in the Lord. God was working in his life. Daily, he was further being sanctified and set apart for God's exclusive. He knew what God's calling was on his life. He knew what his spiritual gift was. He knew where his place was in the body of Christ, what body part he was. And he was obeying the Lord. He had left his family. He had left his home. He had left family land. He had left everything that was familiar to be obedient to the Word of God. How is it that God could use him? He was daily being sanctified. And the lost world observed that this man, Barnesman, he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit. That means he was filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, he was controlled by the Spirit. And the result was people were added to the Lord. Don't you look up here at me. I promise you, if you'll live on mission and you'll know the Word, you'll obey the Word, you'll show the Word and you'll sow the Word, I can't promise you how many people will get saved, but it'll make a difference in people's lives. You can't argue with a changed life. People may not receive the Christ that you've received in their heart, but they cannot 
argue with the testimony of a changed life. They'll see the difference that Christ makes in your life. But you've got to live on mission and daily be growing in the Lord to push away from all that the devil says you're missing out on by fully serving Christ. These people were used in a powerful way by God because daily they were being sanctified. And the result was many people were added. They, con- they had continued growth and faithfulness. The fourth mark on their life, and I close, is this. Selflessness in service. Selflessness in service. Ministry wasn't about them. I've observed and I've seen, friend, one of the great things that destroys many churches is this. Ministry becomes personal to people. Don't you listen to me? That's my class. That's my ministry. That's my group. That's my church. My, 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 my. And people get so upset when they can't do what they want to do. The question's never in ministry, what do I want to do, but what does God want? will for me to do? That's the question. And when ministry becomes personal, and people begin to personally own it, lints and flesh. I want to remind you, friend, everything in this church belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not one person in this church died and shed their blood to buy anything that's in this church, but Jesus did. For Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So everything belongs to the Lord. When you ever get to a place in ministry, a ministry, you think it's yours and it can't be done anyway and there can't be any other voice or any other influence except for yours, you have pushed away from God's lordship over that ministry. It's happened. That wasn't the case with Barnabas. It was a defining mark in his life was selflessness. Don't miss that. Ministry was never about him. It was about the Lord and the growth of his church. Look what the Bible says in verse number 25. It says, Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. That's Paul. Why is he going to get Paul? It says, And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church. Why did he go get him? Because he knew he was better equipped by God to teach the church than he was. He was. Barnabas had it made, man. He had a following now. He was the first person that the, that the church from Jerusalem had sent. He could have set up a great ministry. This is my ministry. Nobody else is going to help with it. But it wasn't about that. It was about who else can come in and help us. The Bible says we're to pray the Lord of the harvest for what? Workers. One of my great prayers is this. I don't, listen, I don't ever try to steal sheep from another church, but if somebody's dissatisfied in the church where they're at, and they'll serve and not be hindrance. Listen, we don't want any troublemakers. Send them to somebody else's church. But if anybody wants to be a part of great commission service, come to Greenwood Baptist Church. We'll put you to work. And you're welcome on ministry. You'll have a seat at the table. And anyone that doesn't want you to have a seat at the table, we pray God will pull them away from the table. He was selfless. He says, man, I want Barnabas to come... Help with this. He had, he had the right focus. He knew, I mean, he, he knew Paul was. He knew Paul was more equipped to lead them on. No personal agenda. No dynasty to protect. It was just about the Lord 
in his kingdom. True spiritual growth will always be marked by selflessness. And do you know what that means? There's an absence of pride. No pride. There's a good pride there. I'm proud of our church family. I'm proud of the victories that the Lord has brought in our church family. But it's not by my strength and by yours. It's by the Lord's. We're proud in the Lord. But notice what happens verse number 26. They just kept building disciples. And they taught a great many people. I love that. There's three words that kind of stand out. There were these lost people there in Antioch. And they came and preached the gospel. And they, they reached them with the gospel. And then notice here in verse number 26. It says they're, they taught a great many people. So it was reach and then it was teach, and then Barnabas came along and he was trying to help them along, saying, now don't quit. He, and so, he, what, what word could we come up with there? Encourage. The Great Commission was being fulfilled in that community through reaching, teaching, and encouragement. But I love this. Look at the last part of verse number 26. Don't miss this. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. All the lost people in the community, they saw these defining marks on their lives. Just like my mother got up every morning, drove down to Waynesville Junior High School, went back, sat behind a wooden desk, and a bunch of teenagers came and sat in. She put up with them all day long, tried to do the best she could with them. That defined her as a teacher. Just like my cousin puts on a I'll do it right this time. Puts on the badge every morning. Puts a gun on his hip. Gets in a squad car. That defines him as a policeman. He's a cop. Well, what defined these early believers, friend, was that they were scripturally born again. They were steadfast in mission and living. They were sanctified in spiritual growth. They were selfless in service. I want you to listen to me this morning. All fakers in the church will one day be exposed. I've heard of people that impersonate police officers. Why anybody would impersonate being a teacher to get that low pay is beyond me, but maybe it's happened in history somewhere. But I know for a fact people have impersonated a police officer, but at some point the truth came out. They didn't have the credentials. A lot of people call themselves Christians. They can join the church body, listen to me. They can come sit every Sunday. They can even serve and do a lot of things that Christians, the Bible says, are supposed to do. But the Bible declares in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I know my sheep. He says, I know who is, and I know who is not. And true, genuine, authentic followers of Christ, they're going to not only be observed by a lost and dying world, but friend, when you draw your last breath, listen to me. The deciding credential, Romans 8 9, is whether the Holy Spirit lives within your heart. You say, well, I'm going I'm to start trying to live on mission. I'm going to try to grow, and I'm going to be selfless in service, so I'll be a Christian. No, 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 no. Because you have spiritual life, because you've been scripturally born again, the Bible says the natural outflow is going to be those other processes. The question is whether you've ever been born again and you've trusted Christ, because if you haven't, you don't house the Holy Spirit. And that's the one credential that God looks for and whether someone's ever been born again. He who has the Son has life. He who hath not the Son, no life.
Just bow our heads and close your eyes. Let's go through that list again this morning. Would you be open and honest before God? Have you been scripturally born again? Is there a moment where you've repented and trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life? Friend, if there, if there isn't, would you not do that right now? You got, if, now listen, if you've been around the church for a while, or maybe you're a member of this church or some other church, you're visiting here this morning. One thing that's going to keep you from trusting Christ is this, it's your pride. What's someone going to think about me? I wouldn't worry about that. What I would be worried about today is where my soul is going to spend eternity. Have you truly been scripturally born again? Is there a moment that you can remember in your life where you truly turned from all your sin, you concurred and you confessed your sin, and you trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life? If you can't remember that moment, won't you do it right now? Do it now. Settle it. Leave this place with the assurance that you've been born again. Pray just like this to God, but you've got to make it your prayer. You've got to mean it from your heart that you really want to repent and trust Christ to be Lord today. Pray just like this. Oh, God, forgive me a sinner. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose again. As I turn from sin, I invite Christ to come live within my heart and be Lord of my life. Take me now. Mold me and make me into the person you want me to be. That's my prayer. Did you pray that today for the very first time? If you did, I want to invite you to make your way to the front in just a moment as we begin to sing, as they sing. Now, I just want you to simply come down to where I'm standing and say, I prayed and trusted Christ to be Lord of my life. Now, friend, be honest. I want you to listen to my voice. You say, I know I'm saved. Listen. Can the lost world that you work around and you live around every day by just observing your life, your speech, your habits, the people that you associate with. I don't mean that you're trying to reach, but the people that you run with. Can they observe your life and say, that guy, that gal's a Christian. They're a follower of Jesus Christ. They live on mission every day. They're always trying to talk about Jesus and lead someone to Christ. They're growing. Boy, they're, they're more like Jesus this year than they were last year. They're always trying to get rid of sin in their life. And it's never about them. I've never seen them get mad about anything in the church except the things that make God mad. Does that define you? If not, friend, why not ask God to Strip away whatever it is that's hindering that work and that growth, that visible transformation that only yielding to the fullness of the Spirit can bring. Father, I pray you'll speak to your church today. Challenge us. God, I pray if there's anything in our life that would show people that we're lost, that we need to be saved. Pray if, God, there's anything in our life that would cause a true on-fire Christian to say, I'm going to start praying for them. That God will help me to share the gospel with them. God, I pray you'll, you'll strip away those things that are hindering the work that you want to do in us and through us. And I pray the lost world will see truly in reality that we are followers of Jesus Christ, not only in word, but in deed. I pray the testimony of this church will be 
those are followers of Jesus Christ. Speak to us now, God. Lord, there are other things you want to do in people's hearts and lives right now. I pray your precious Holy Spirit would speak to us and have free reign as we yield ourselves to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let's reverently stand to our feet.